Honorable Chairman, Honorable Ministers, Honorable Members. I think the copy of the resolution has been already handed over to every one of you. This resolution provides an overview of the evidence demonstrating successive Sri Lankan government's genocide against Tamils and respectfully, respectfully request the ongoing United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights Investigation on Sri Lanka, OISL, to investigate the claim of genocide and recommend appropriate investigations and prosecutions by the International Criminal Court. It is not necessary for me to say how important it is that this investigation must take place uh, with the aid of an international court. We have very little reasons to believe that local machinery, local instruments of judicial investigation could bring us the necessary benefits that we would expect of them due to the experiences that we have had in the past. The Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of Genocide was adopted by the United Nations General Assembly on the 9th of December 1948 and acceded to by Sri Lanka in 1950 and provides in the present and provides in the present convention genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national ethnical racial or religious group as such killing members of the group causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, and forcibly transferring children of the group <coughs> to another group. Although the OISL investigation is a time-round effort focused on February, on February 2nd to, the, to November 2011, February 2002 to November 2011, Sri Lanka's genocide against Tamils began with the island's independence. Since then, Tamils across Sri Lanka, particularly in the historical Tamil homeland of the North and East, have been subject to gross and systematic human rights violations, culminating in the mass atrocities committed in 2009. Sri Lanka's historic violations include over 60 years of state-sponsored anti-Tamil pogroms, massacres, sexual violence, and acts of cultural and linguistic destruction perpetrated by the state. These atrocities have been perpetrated with the intent to destroy the Tamil people and therefore constitute genocide. This council is of opinion that during the period extending from 1948 when the Citizenship Act was passed to strip citizenship from a segment of the Tamil community and render them stateless, and continuing through the present day, successive Sri Lankan governments have perpetrated genocide against Tamils. Extensive evidence demonstrates that acts have been committed that constitute four of the five enumerated genocidal acts in the Genocide Convention. Let us take the first one, killing members of the group. <coughs> when you go into the historical aspect of it, a series of anti-Tamil pogroms, fueled in part by fabricated rumours about Tamil violence against Sinhalese, began with the passage of the Sinhala Only Act, or the Official Language Act. In 1956, on, uh, on June 5th, 1956, at the urging of Sinhalese nationalists, a Sinhalese mob attacked Tamil demonstrators peacefully protesting the single only policy and pillaged Tamil businesses in Colombo. <coughs> I as a youngster used to go through all these things, we were spectators of, of many of these things. When the news reached Galoya from June 11th to the 16th, Sinhalese mobs who were galvanized by false rumors about Tamil initiated violence killed around 150 Tamils, injured about 100 more, and destroyed many Tamil-owned properties. Although police were present during the riot, they passively chose not to intervene and stop the violence. 
Their presence and inaction illustrates the government's intent to destroy the Tamil people in whole or in part. Non-violent, Gandhian-style protests by Tamils increased over the next two years. In May 1958, Buddhist monks and other Sinhala nationalists organized anti-Tamil pogroms throughout Sri Lanka from May 22nd to the 27th in the North Central Province, Colombo Central Province, along the West Coast, and eventually the Northern and Eastern Provinces. The Prime Minister himself spread false rumors about Tamil-initiated atrocities to incite violence against Tamils in the Sinhalese-dominated areas. Estimates indicate that 300 people were 300 Tamils were killed, over 1,000 were injured, and 2,000 women were raped in the 1958 pogrom. In Jaffna in January 1974, a massive gathering at the, Tamil at the Jaffna Esplanade was engrossed in a speech of a Muslim Tamil scholar, late Professor Naina Muhammad, on the last day of the International Association of Tamil Research <coughs> Conference. The Sri Lanka police unleashed a brutal attack on the passive gathering which led to the wanton death of nine Tamils. This council notes that the memorandum submitted by the late United, Tamil United Front, I think it was called Tamil United Front then, not TULF, leader to visiting heads of states during the Commonwealth Conference held in Colombo in September 1974, placed on record important instances of serious human rights violations committed against Tamils on the island since independence in 1948. As far back as then itself, in 74, this was brought, brought to the notice of the world by our leaders. From August 12th to the 20th in 1977, Tamils were attacked on the train from Jaffna to Colombo through the country, from Arvadapura to Colombo and in the hill country. Again, false rumors about Tamil violence against Sinhalese contributed to the rioting. I remember a friend of mine who used to travel in that, was traveling in that train, and he came back and said, oh, they said so much of lies, and we thought all that was true, to find that none of them about Tamil atrocities, which were spread among the Sinhalese, was true. But the, the, the reaction of the Sinhalese was against all those poor tra travelers from Jaffna to Kalam. About 300 Tamil Tamils were killed, over 1,000 were injured, and 25,000 were displaced. These pogroms occurred less than one month after Mr. Jayawadhan took office as Prime Minister. Mr. Jayawadhan said, the deaths were regrettable, but a natural reaction to the support for separatism. Whilst the 1977 pogrom raged and the Tamil people were reeling from the slaughter, Mr. Jav Prime Minister Jawadana rose in Parliament on the 18th of August and arrogantly issued a challenge to the Tamils. If you want to fight, let there be a fight. If it is peace, let there be peace. V. D. Hansard, Volume 33, Number 2, Column 246. Mr. Jawadana's victim blaming furthers the argument that the government intended to commit genocide in, res in response to the increasingly popular Tamil resistance. The most horrific anti-Tamil pogroms known as Black July occurred in July 20, from July 23rd to the 30th of 1983 and involved state-sponsored Sinhalese mobs attacking Tamils and destroying their properties across the country beginning in Colombo. Actually, it started very close to the residence of Mr. Swaminathan, who is now a minister. Just, just there at the Borella Junction, it started. Uh, towards the end of the week, false rumors that the LTT infiltrated Colombo resulted in massacres of Tamils by Sinhalese mobs who wanted to be sure there was no LTT presence. The mobs targeted and located Tamils using voter registration lists, which was a damning evidence of the government's instigation of these attacks. How could you get these uh, registration lists in advance unless the government was party to it? Over 3,000 Tamils were killed, 500 women were raped, 8,000 homes and 5,000 businesses were destroyed, and about 500,000 Tamils fled the country. In addition, as part of this program, over 37 political prisoners, Tamil political prisoners detained at Valikata prison, were killed by Sinhalese prisoners on July 25th. 
The survivors say that the prison officers facilitated these murders by letting the Sinhalese prisoners have their keys. Just prior to Black July, on July 11th, President Gyawadana was quoted in a newspaper saying, I'm not worried about the opinion of the Tamil people. Now we cannot think of them, not about their lives or their options. Really, if I starve the Tamils out, the Sinhala people will be happy. Now this is what the President of Sri Lanka said in July 1983 and reported in Daily Telegraph. This statement by the head of state clearly indicates the government's intent to destroy the Tamil people through killings, causing serious bodily or mental harm, and deliberately inflicting on the Tamil people the conditions of life calculated to bring about their physical destruction. This council notes that the spread of false rumors to incite violence against a group is a hallmark of genocides throughout history, such as in Nazi Germany, Rwanda, and the former Yugoslavia. The Sri Lankan government has used false rumors as one tool in organizing Sinhalese mobs to commit genocide against Tamils. Black July is marked as the beginning of war in Sri Lanka. This council notes that the ethnic conflict had already begun, however, both overt and covert acts of state, of state terrorism by successive government regimes, often pursuant to the Draconian Prevention of Terrorism Act, translated into systematic and widespread extrajudicial killings of Tamils. The atrocities against Tamils included over 50 separate massacres of civilians before 2008 and the targeted assassinations of political, civil and community leaders, enforced disappearances, torture, use of sexual violence as a tactic of war, severe restrictions or bans on food and basic <coughs> medicine, and forced displacement, including coastal communities from the northeast provinces. The Wani genocide of 2008-2009 had previously been rehearsed in the eastern province. On 28th August 2006, the Sri Lankan military began a multi-pronged offensive against the Tamil, the LTT-administered region, stretching from Sampur to Wahare. <coughs> Heavy shelling forced civilians to displace towards Wahare. The UN reported that the Sri Lankan government first restricted international aid agencies and journalists from entering the area and then completely barred food and medical supplies from reaching the IDPs. Presumed safe areas such as schools and Hospitals came under heavy gunfire, according to the UN and Human Rights Watch. Thousands of Tamils died either due to shelling or gunfire or as a result of their untreated wounds or starvation. On 19 January 2007, the Sri Lankan military entered Wahare with little resistance and began the process of colonizing the entire region. During the war, government military forces engaged in deliberate aerial, artillery and naval bombardment of civilian areas and also used prohibited weapons and ammunition such as cluster bombs. <coughs> According to US, UN estimates, 60,000 to 100,000 Tamil civilians were killed over the course of the 27-year-old long war. The large scale and severe nature of the genocide also forced many Tamils to flee the northeast provinces and seek refuge in Tamil Nadu and western countries. If we come to the recent times, the Sri Lankan government intentionally corralled Tamils into the or corralled, I'm not very sure about the pronunciation, corralled Tamils into the so-called no-fire zones in 2009 
in a calculated and deliberate attempt to destroy as many Tamils as possible. According to the UN report of the Secretary General's panel of exports, the experts on accountability in Sri Lanka, the Sri Lankan government shelled on a large scale in three consecutive no-fire zones where it had encouraged the civilian population to concentrate and even after indicating that it would use that it would cease the use of heavy weapons it shelled the united nations hub food distribution lines and the near and, the, and near the international committee of the red cross icrc ships that were coming to pick up the wounded and their relatives from the beaches it shelled in spite of its knowledge of the impact <coughs> provided by its own intelligence systems and through notification by the United Nations, the ICRC and others. Most civilian casualties in the final phases of the war were caused by government shelling. Now this is what the, the report of the Secretary General's panel of experts had said. Coming over to Callum McRae, director of award-winning documentaries about Sri Lanka with UK's Channel 4, reported on evidence that the attacks killing civilians were accurately targeted. So which means it was done deliberately. At the end of January 2009, government forces were killing approximately 33 Tamil people each day. With these casualties increasing to 116 people per day by April 2009. According to the Permanent People's Tribunal on Sri Lanka, this toll surged with an average of 1,000 civilians killed each day until May 19, 2009. In a submission to the Lessons Learned and Reconciliation Commission, the Bishop of the Mana Catholic Diocese, Right Reverend Dr. Ayapu Joseph, stated that according to the government secretariats, the population in the Wani region in early October 2008 was 429,059. However, only 282,380 people emerged from the Wani into government controlled areas according to UN OCHA 2009 statistics. Thus, over 146,679 people in the Wani are not accounted for after the 2009 atrocities. The UN panel of experts also reported on an elite unit within the Special Task Force, STF, of the police that was directly under the command of Defence Secretary Gothabe Rajapaksa. The experts found that the unit was implicated in organising white man operations in which individuals were abducted, tortured and often disappeared. Callum McRae has reported that evidence exists depicting the systematic and cold-blooded execution of bound naked prisoners and which also suggests sexual assault of naked female fighters. At least 200 deceased and mutilated bodies, primarily of Tamil women and young girls, were observed by the employee of an international agency at the mortuary of a government hospital in February and March 2009. Now, all this information has been taken from well-known reports of international organizations. So, any further information with regard to the validity and veracity of this information can always be asked and we should be giving that. Number two, we now come on to the second aspect or second limb of the section which defines uh, Genocide, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. In 1979, then President Jawadana passed the Prevention of Terrorism Act, which gave security forces broad powers to search, arrest and detain suspects. The Prevention of Terrorism Act has been used to detain, torture and even murder many Tamilic civilians. Mr. Jawadana was also passed a constitutional amendment barring Tamil MPs 
barring MPs who support separatism from Parliament, which effectively eliminated MPs from the Tamil United Liberation Front from politics at that time. That is the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution brought in August 1983. By curtailing Tamil's right to free speech and free expression, Sri Lanka has violated the Tamil's right to self-determination. The governments of Sri Lanka also committed acts of cultural genocide beginning on June 5, 1956 when the WRD government passed the Singhalese Act or the Official Language Act which replaced English with Singhala spoken by 70% of the population at the time as the sole official language. This act failed to officially recognize Tamil in any capacity. In the first Republican Constitution of 1972, Buddhism was privileged at the foremost place among religions in the constitutions. Although the term cultural genocide does not appear in genocide convention, it was included in the initial draft and international criminal tribunals have found acts of cultural and linguistic destruction to constitute acts of genocide. The single only act and the privileging of Buddhism undermined the Tamil people's language and religion, predominantly Hindu. In this connection, I might refer to Kodi Swaran's case, where the, the Privy Council had wanted the Sri Lankan High, um, Supreme Court to go into the question of whether single only act was uh, against the Constitution, because there was Section 29 of the then Constitution still prevalent. But the government went on not taking it up until the 1972 Constitution came in. And then there it was a natural death for that case. The governments of Sri Lanka also committed acts of cultural genocide beginning on June 5, 1956, when SWR Dibandar government, uh, sorry, I, I, I must have read that earlier. Uh, the single only act in the privileging of Buddhism undermined the Tamil people's language and religion, predominantly Hindu. Nearly 10 years later, from May 31st to June 2nd, 1981, policemen and paramilitaries organized a program during which they killed four Tamils selected at random, destroyed TULF's headquarters, <coughs> the residence of the Tamil MP, and burned the Jaffna library. I remember I was a district judge in Chavakacheri, and on the day after the burning of the library, it was a Sinhalese policeman who was in charge of the Jaffna, uh, uh, in charge of the police station in Chavukicheri, who gave me the uh, information early in the morning. So they have burnt the Jaffna library, and he mentioned certain high political uh, personalities who were there and whom he thought were behind the what what took place. Over 97,000 books and culturally and historically important and irreplaceable documents were destroyed in this heinous act of a cultural genocide. High-ranking security officers and cabinet ministers were in Jaffna when security forces destroyed Tamil life and property, further illustrating the state's support of these acts. The government targeted the Jaffna library to destroy part of the Tamil cultures, people's culture and cause them serious mental harm. On 5th of September 1990, the Sri Lanka Army took 158 Tamils from the Bandaramule IDP camp. Five days later, on September 10th, the Sri Lanka Army took 184 Tamils, including 38 children under age 10, from Satrukondan and two nearby villages. There was only one witness who survived, who reported that all the detained had been massacred. They used to be cut into pieces and they had cut a big trench and everybody was thrown into it. Despite various commissions of inquiry, the fate of these people is still unknown. This council notes that all historical and more recent genocidal acts have caused serious mental harm to Tamils. As successive Sinhalese dominated governments have committed gross and systematic human rights violations against the Tamil people. The International Law Commission interpreted the mental harm standard to mean 
that the bodily harm or the mental harm inflicted on members of a group must be of such serious nature as to threaten its destruction in whole or in part. Thus, the acts of physical, cultural and linguistic violence against Tamils are tantamount to genocide under the mental harm standard because extensive destruction of the Tamil culture and language threatens the Tamil people's survival on the, on the island. Coming over to the recent incidents, the UN report of the Secretary General's panel of expert, experts on accountability in Sri Lanka found credible allegations that security forces committed rape and sexual violence against Tamil civilians while screening those leaving areas of conflict and in the IDP camps. Yasmin Suka, one of the experts who contributed to the Secretary General's UN report, released her own report in March 2014, concluding that abduction, arbitrary detention, torture, rape and sexual violence have increased in the post-war period. This is after the war, post-war period. These widespread and systematic violations by the Sri Lankan security forces occur in a manner that indicates a coordinated systematic plan approved by the highest levels of government. The report found a pattern of targeting Tamils for abduction and arbitrary detention unconnected to a lawful purpose involving widespread acts of torture and rape. This report was based on 40 sworn statements from witnesses who testified regarding their experiences of abduction, torture and sexual violence by Sri Lankan security forces between May 2009 and February 2014. The report paints a chilling picture of the continuation of the conflict against the ethnic Tamil community with the purpose of sowing terror and destabilizing community members who remain in the country. The, 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 the question is, after the <coughs> war, what was the necessity for all this to happen, which has been correctly and properly recorded, except that it was with the purpose of swaying terror and destabilizing the community members who remain in this country. The report identified the practice of rape and sexual violence that has become institutionalized and entrenched in the Sri Lankan security forces. Survivors reported being raped by uniformed male officers from the Sri Lankan military. A Human Rights Watch report released in February 2013 also documented 75 cases of politically motivated sexual assaults of primarily Tamil detainees. Human Rights Watch found disturbing patterns strongly suggesting that sexual violence was a widespread and systematic practice and concluded that rape was a key element of more <coughs> vibrating torture intended to instill terror in individuals and the broader Tamil population. The report stated that sexual violence, as with other serious abuses committed by Sri Lankan security forces, was committed against <coughs> the backdrop of deeply entrenched impunity. Further systematic attacks, attacks on hospitals during the 2009 military campaign caused serious bodily and mental harm to Tamils. Human Rights Watch documented at least 30 such attacks on permanent and makeshift hospitals in the combat area after December 2008. The destructive campaign has caused permanent mental effects on those who survive. Investigators with the US Centers for Disease, and Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, and Sri Lanka Ministry of Healthcare and Nutrition conducted a health survey of Japna district residents between July and September 2009. They found that the prevalence of PTSD 13%, anxiety 48.5 and depression 41.8 symptoms amongst currently displaced Jaffna residents is more comparable with post-war Kosovo's and Afghans. As noted by the Permanent People's Tribunal on Sri Lanka, continuous displacement and endless trauma caused by protracted war had a devastating impact on mental health among Tamils. Further, the government hitherto has continued to impose restrictions on psychosocial support services in Tamil areas, which intentionally exacerbates <coughs> serious 
mental harm. We have been seeing roads being put up, buildings being put up, but the government hitherto had not been interested in psychosocial support services for the people which are very urgently needed. So thus far with regard to causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. Now we come to the third one. Deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Following the passage of the Single Only Act, thousands of Tamil civil servants resigned due to a lack of fluency in Singhala, and by 1970, the civil service was almost entirely Singhalese. During this time, it was difficult, if not impossible, for Tamils to access government services due to the language barrier. During the 1970s, university admissions were standardized to benefit Singhalese students at the expense of Tamils. Gaining admission to university became increasingly difficult for Tamil students whose members, whose numbers consequently declined at the tertiary level. The UN noted that if a state systematically denies to members of a certain group its elementary means of existence enjoyed by other sections of the population, it condemns such persons to a wretched ex existence maintained by illicit or clandestine activities and public charity. The Single Only Act made it prohibitively difficult for Tamils, many of whom were civil servants, to retain or gain employment or access government services, <coughs> thus denying Tamils their elementary means of existence. Similarly, the standardization scheme introduced in 1970 discriminated against Tamil students seeking university entrance, putting them at a disadvantage for access to employment. Moreover, according to international criminal jurisprudence from the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, the term physical destruction should be construed as the methods of destruction by which the perpetrator does not immediately kill the members of the group, but which ultimately seek their physical destruction, which would, which would include inter alia subjecting a, a group of people to a subsistence diet, systematic expulsion from homes, and the reduction of essential medical services below minim minimum requirement. By pushing Tamils out of the workforce and rendering them financially insecure, <coughs> the Single Only Act and University Admission Standardization ultimately aimed to destroy the Tamil group, at least in part, via slow death, slow death genocide. This council further notes that during the war, the government imposed prolonged blockades against humanitarian aid and embargoes on necessary goods, preventing basic goods and supplies from reaching the Northeast. Coming over to the recent times, a military blockade against Tamil areas has been in place since 1990, except for ceasefire periods, which has contributed to the historical impoverishment and isolation of the Tamil community. The blockade has prevented ordinary items such as basic medicine, school books, cement, gasoline, candles, and chocolate from entering Tamil areas. I don't know why they stopped chocolates. During certain periods of the ethnic conflict, the military adopted a harsher stance and blocked all humanitarian aid intended for civilians. The UN panel of experts report found that the government deliberately understated the Tamil population's size as part of a strategy to limit the supplies going into the Wadi. You see, but you say the number of people in an area, if it is 1,000, you say it's only 300. So the supplies will be only for 300, and 1,000 people will have to live on it. And that's another way of deliberately doing harm to them. The panel of experts report <coughs> continued, noting that the senior government official subsequently admitted that the estimates were reduced to this end. The low numbers also indicate that the government conflated civilians with LTT in the final stages of the war. They said all of them are the same, whereas these were simple, ordinary people. According to the international <coughs> crisis, uh, international crimes evidence project, the government's refusal of adequate food and medical supplies into the money, despite being aware of the devastating effect it could have on civilians, could have amounted to inhuman acts of persecution or both. 
such intentional starvation demonstrates the government's deliberate infliction of deadly conditions calculated to bring about the physical destruction of Tamils. Again, Callum McRae also found evidence of the deliberate denial of adequate humanitarian supplies of food and medicine to civilians trapped in those drugstore misnamed no-fire zones. To justify this policy, the government systematically underestimated the number of civilians trapped in the zones. At the end of April 2009, for example, President Rajapaksa told CNN that there are only about 5,000, maybe even 10,000 civilians left in the zones. According to UN figures, however, more than 125,000 civilians were stuck in those zones. President Rajapaksa endorsed the inaccurate figures as a means to justify what almost certainly constitutes a war crime, a crime that left thousands of civilians catastrophically short of food and water and allowed hundreds to die unnecessarily in makeshift hospitals because of desperate shortages of supplies, including blood and and anesthetics. You would remember on the 19th of January last year, the president uh, came over to Telipale and said, there aren't more than about 12,000 army people in the whole of Northern province. And the very same day, in the evening, his secretary, uh, Ralit Viratuka, has said, there are about 70 to 80,000 people. Whereas the UN said it was much, much more than all that. So, these are ways by which uh, untruths are uttered with a deliberate motive. Amnesty International's Asia Director Sam Zavari, Safiri reportedly stated that the Sri Lankan government's policy of obstructing aid was deliberate and illegal, noting that international law bans medieval sieges. You can't subject a population to hunger, famine or plague as a means of military victory. Today, the Tamil community shows clear signs of continuing deterioration in terms of health, food and social security. In the northeast areas, the malnutrition level has reached 50% corresponding also with the alarming poverty rate measured at 58% in those regions. The systematic expulsion of victims from their homes is another means of inflicting conditions of life calculated to bring bring about the physical destruction of a group, as stated by the International Criminal Tribunals. The Sri Lankan government used this practice extensively against Tamils, confiscating Tamils' private lands. In May 2013, 1,474 Northern Tamils filed a petition against the government's confiscation of their land, stating that 6,381 acres were appropriated to build another army base in Jaffna. The majority of these individuals were refused permission to return to their lands and forced to remain in the welfare villages, which enabled the government to claim that the owners of these lands are unidentifiable. That's what they say. Even five years after the end of the war, Sri Lanka announced a defense budget of 1.95 billion uh, uh, pounds, or is it dollars? Dollars for 2014, 12% of the overall 2014 state budget. The Sri Lankan military's current reach includes police powers throughout the country with search and detention authority. In Tamil-speaking areas, the Sri Lankan military is increasing its economic role, controlling land and seemingly establishing itself as a permanent occupying presence. The heavy militarization of North of Northeast has led to the drastic increase in single settlers, land grabs, construction of Buddhist temples, conversion of village names and street play signs from Tamil to Singhalese, and unrestricted Singhalese enterprise, all of which threaten to permanently alter the local demography and exacerbate ethnic tensions, as noted by the International Crisis Group. Evidence related to the escalation of militarization, colonization, and forcible imposition of singular Buddhist culture in Tamil areas contributed to a finding of genocide by the Permanent People's Tribunal on Sri Lanka, an independent international organization that has examined human rights violations around the world. I must say, because of the help that we obtained from the documents put out by such 
tribunals that it was possible for us to prepare all this within the short time that was available. Now we come on to the fourth out of the five uh, limbs of the definition of uh, genocide. Imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. I think our doctors aware of what took place during this time. As early as in the 1990s, there have been reported incidents of forced sterilization of the upcountry Tamils. Doctors would pro uh, promise rupees 500 to young and poor Tamil plantation workers who would take a lorry to a makeshift clinic where they were forcibly sterilized with, via tubal ligation without uh, consent. The government operated this program under the guise of family planning but its aim was to prevent births among Tamils, thus changing the demographics of the central province. After the implementation of such forced sterilization programs, the growth, rate, the growth rate of the Tamil population in the region fell drastically compared to other communities. Trends dating back to 5 to 10 years before these acts of forced sterilization also indicate Closures of child care centers following increased forcible sterilization measures as the number of children below, uh, below age 5 decreased too much. Women were almost always sterilized before the age of 26 years, which is ostensibly against Sri Lankan law. Thus, while the situation for Tamils deteriorated in the northeast due to the war, the government continued its genocide against Tamils by forcibly sterilizing the upcountry Tamils. In recent times when you come in, doctors aligned with the Sri Lankan government performed abortions on Tamil women without their consent. In May 2007, a confidential cable from the United States Embassy, embassy in Colombo stated, Father Bernard also told us of an EPDP, Europe People's Democratic Party, a pro-government paramilitary organization. Father Bernard also told us of an EPDP medical doctor named Dr. Sinatambi, who performs forced abortions, often under the guise of a regular checkup on Tamil women suspected of being aligned with the LTT. Further, in August 2013, government health workers forced mothers to accept surgically implanted birth control in the Tamil villages of Viravil, Kiranji, Valipad, in Kalinachi, in the northern province. When the women objected, the nurses said that if they did not agree to the contraceptive, they could be denied treatment at, at the hospital in the future. <laughs> a Ministry of Health Department report from the Northern Province in 2012 found an unjustifiably higher rate of birth control implants, 30 times higher in Tamil women in Mullethiwu, compared to much more densely populated Jaffna. According to the Home for Human Rights, HHR, more than 80% of Tamil women in central Sri Lanka were offered a lump sum payment in return for their ability to reproduce. After receiving this payment, typically 500 rupees, women, uh, women underwent surgical sterilization. This amount of money is significant, especially for those who are predominantly plantation workers. The population of this Tamil group has dropped annually since 1956 by 5%, whereas the population of the country overall has grown by 14%. 14%. In contrast, police and army officers have been encouraged to have a third child through payment of 100,000 rupees from the government. The police and army are overwhelmingly Sinhalese and those, and thus those taking advantages, advantage of this offer are Sinhalese. This system, sorry, this systematic pattern of authority sanction coerced sterilizations may amount to an intentional destruction of the Tamil state population as stated by the Home for Human Rights. And it is also noted about the Sri Lanka's institutionalized impunity, where nobody really cares that they want to be hard on the Tamils. You just carry on being hard on them, nothing will happen to you. That's what the impunity means. This council notes that President Maithripala Sirisena was acting Defence Minister in May 2009 during the peak of the government's attacks against Tamils. This conclusively demonstrates the need for justice and accountability for the Tamil genocide to be driven and carried out 
by the international community. So that is what is important because when everybody has some connection to what has taken place, we cannot expect much from an internal uh, uh, institution uh, which goes into these uh, crimes and makes investigations. Tamils have no hope for justice in any Sri Lankan mechanism, whether conducted by the Rajabaksha regime, Sirisena regime, or even its successor. This council further notes that Lieutenant General, I think they have been made general now, uh, I'm not sure, that Lieutenant General Sarat Fonseca was President, President Rajapaksa's army commander during the later stages of the war and is currently President Sirisena's advisor on defense matters. Fonseca told international media, I strongly believe, I don't know if he is saying now, at least he appears to be, this is what he said earlier, I strongly believe that this country belongs to the Sinhalese, but there are minority communities and we treat them like our people. We being the majority of the country, 75%, we will never give in and we have the right to protect this country. We are also a strong nation. They can live in this country with us, but they must not try to, under the pretext of being a minority, demand undue things. National Post, 23 September 2008. Fonseca's rhetoric embodies the sentiment of single and nationalist chauvinism that has been a hallmark of Sri Lankan politics since its independence. Singular nationalism serves to institutionalize impunity for genocide against Tamils and prevent any meaningful political solution. Further, an internal message from the then United States Ambassador in Colombo, Patricia Butenis, said one of the reasons there was such little progress towards a genuine Sri Lankan inquiry into the 2009 killings was that the president and the former army commander, Sarat Fonseca, were largely responsible. There are no examples we know of a regime undertaking wholesale investigations of its own troops or senior officials for war crimes while that regime or government remained in power, Butenis noted. Now this is one of the reasons why we are also against, uh, we, we are also saying that international investigation is essential and that local institutions are, cannot come to a proper decision. In Sri Lanka, this is further complicated by the fact that responsibility for many alleged crimes rests with the country's senior civilian, civilian and military leadership, including President Rajapaksa and his brothers and opposition candidate General Fonseca. This is from the WikiLeaks cables. Sri Lankan president responsible for massacre of Tamils, as quoted in The Guardian of 1st of December 2010. <coughs> Butanis' analysis that no regime will investigate its own leaders remains equally true under Sirisena's administration, given his role in the military leadership in 2009 and Fonseca's continued position of privilege today. His council further notes that countless presidential commissions established under different regimes to investigate human rights violations have not led to prosecutions of perpetrators or justice. VDA Amnesty International Sri Lanka, 20 years of make believe Sri, Lanka, Sri Lanka's Commission <coughs> Inquiry, 11th of June 2009. So therefore we resolved that. We come to the end of the resolution. Therefore we are now resolving. The obligation to prevent and punish genocide under the Genocide Convention is not a matter of political choice or calculation, but one of binding customary international law. This council urges OISL to comprehensively investigate and report on the charge of genocide in its submission to the United uh, to the UN Human Rights Council in March 2015. The UN Security Council should refer the situation in Sri Lanka to the International Criminal Court for Prosecutions based on war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide. Alternatively, or concurrently. Domestic courts in countries that may exercise universal jurisdiction over the alleged events and perpetrators, including but not limited to the United States, should prosecute these crimes. To this day, Tamils in the Northeast suffer from Sri Lanka's ongoing genocide. In some areas of the Northeast, there is one soldier for every three, three Tamils. 
This level of militarization is utterly unjustifiable, given that war ostensibly ended five years ago. In Tamil-speaking areas, the Sri Lankan military has exponentially increased its role in Tamil's daily life, expanded the amount of land it controls, and is establishing itself as a permanent occupying presence. There has been no change in the oppressive level of militarization in the Northeast with the election of Maitripala Sirisena. The extreme level of militarization uniquely affects Tamil women. There are approximately 90,000 female attendant households in the Northeast after the end of the armed conflict. These women are especially vulnerable to sexual violence due to the military's predatory practices. This council urges urgently calls upon the international community to create conditions suitable and sustainable to protect the Tamils of the northern northeast provinces in Sri Lanka from genocide. The case of genocide in Sri Lanka is unique among genocides in the history because it occurred over several decades and under different governments before intensifying into a no-holds-barred war for nearly three decades and culminating in the vast atrocities of 2009. It is accordingly vital that Sri Lanka's historic violations against Tamils, in addition to the 2009 attacks, are addressed <coughs> through an international mechanism in order to combat Sri Lanka's institutionalized international intervention, coupled with action to promote the respect of human rights, is necessary to ensure a sustainable future for self-determination, peace, justice in Sri Lanka, and for the Tamil people. Now, <coughs> thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That brings to an end the long resolution on genocide in Sri Lanka that reflects to some extent the feelings and frustrations of our people, an ancient people with an ancient culture and language. It is my hope that this resolution would not be considered as an epistle to the international community only, unrelated to the life of my Sinhalese brothers and sisters. This resolution is a challenge to your moral integrity and humaneness. If you could assimilate what brutality and inconsiderateness has preceded you or bypassed you so far, maybe chances for moral regeneration and a more healthier cooperative and coordinated lifestyle for the future of all people living in this blessed island could be ensured. If only the words of one of our greater civil law advocates, who also happened to be the leader of his people at that time 40 years ago in September 1974, Mr. S.J. Enshrined in a memorandum from the Tamils of Ceylon to all delegates attending the 20th Commonwealth Conference in Sri Lanka had been then heeded. At that time, we may have averted the brutal war and its ill effects. He said, in Ceylon today, there is clearly a situation where immediate action and assistance are necessary to stop a bad situation from getting worse. He was appealing to his Commonwealth delegates that they should use their good officers to help in the solution of the problem that had arisen. Today we need to rewrite the wrongs done by all of us. We need to search our conscience. We need to examine ways and means of ushering in a new way of life, a new culture. In this regard, let me quote from an excellent speech made by former Prime Minister of Australia, Mr. Paul Keating at Redfern Park, Sydney, on 10th of December 1992, on the occasion of the launch of Australia's celebration of 1993 International Year of the World's Indigenous People. As you know, the Australians today who are in power are people who, who are mostly prisoners who brought from other areas, and uh, they were able to completely submerge the indigenous people who were there. He said, and I quote, and this is very important, Please bear with me just a little more. And as I say, the starting point might be to recognize that the problem starts with us non-Aboriginal Australians. So he's saying that the problems might be really, the, the, the blame might be lying 
with the aborigines, but with the non-aboriginal Australians, and this is what I'm trying to tell the majority community here. It begins, I think, with the, that act of recognition, recognition that it was we who did the dispossessing. We dispossessed them from their land. We took the traditional lands and smashed the traditional way of life. We brought the diseases, the alcohol. We committed the murders. We took the children from their mothers. We practiced discrimination and exclusion. It was our ignorance and our prejudice and our failure to imagine these things being done to us. With some noble exceptions, we failed to make the most basic human response and enter into their hearts and minds. We failed to ask, how would I feel if this was done to me? As a consequence, we fail to see that what we are doing degraded all of us, all the Sri Lankans. I remember former Chief Justice, uh, Mr. Neville Samaragun telling me, just coming back after the 1983, during the riots he was in uh, somewhere in the, uh, in the Middle East. He came back and said he had seen various things that were happening in Sri Lanka on the on the, on the, on the computer, on the TV, and where the policemen were just staying and looking the other side, people going and burning uh, shops and so on in Peta. He came and said, Dignes, Sri Lanka is a dirty name, dirty name in, 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 the, in the world today, a dirty word in, in the world today. So, th that is what, uh, what has happened. As a consequence, we fail to see that what we are doing <laughs> degraded all of us. If we needed a reminder of this, we received it this year. Now this is what the Australian High, um, the Prime Minister is saying as to what happened to them, where there had been a report that has come against them. The report of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Deaths in Custody showed with devastating clarity that the past lives on in inequality, racism and injustice. And maybe on the 28th of March, we are expecting a report of similar nature coming in as far as Sri Lankan government is concerned. In the prejudice and ignorance of non-Aboriginal Australians and in the demoralization and desperation, the fractured identity of so many Aborigines and Torres Strait Islanders. For all this, I do not believe that the report should fill us with guilt. Down the years, there has been no shortage of guilt, but it has not produced the responses we need. Guilt is not very constructive emotion. I think what we do, need to do is open our hearts a bit, all of us. Perhaps when we recognize what we have in common, we will see the things which must be done, the practical things. With these words, dear ladies and gentlemen, or my brothers and sisters, <coughs> I commit my resolution to this August Assembly of Men and Women, who are the pride of my dear people of the Northern Province. Thank you. And may I, sir, ask you that this be forwarded to, uh, to the relevant uh, OISL office for whatever steps that they may take. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chief Minister, for the effective, efficient, eloquent, explanatory, explicit, elucidative, educative motion on genocide expressing feelings, anxieties and aspirations of the Tamil nation in this house. Ippolagu in the Kaurava Mudalamacharudaya Pirinayai Ori Mukamaha Adravana Atharai Urupina Radam Yalanda Nendra Vali Modiya Valdum Yandra Kaitu Pandindri. In the in the Pirinayana Ivare Vali Modiya Lain, 
அனுமதிக்கிறது முதலமைச்சர் 